In anticipation of this morning's sermon text, I'd like you to give attention to the reading of God's word from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. It's always interesting how God's word in the Older Testament anticipates themes that will be fulfilled in the New Testament. And we find this in this particular text in anticipation of Luke's gospel. 1 Kings 17, verses 17 and following. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, Let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Well, perhaps you're like me and uh, maybe you've read or maybe watched the movie, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. And perhaps you remember the final battle in The Return of the King. Frodo and Sam on their mission to destroy the ring by throwing it into Mount Doom. And Sam wakes from his sleep and he is surprised to see Gandalf the wizard and he asks the question to Gandalf, is everything sad, going to come untrue. Is everything sad going to come untrue? With that question in mind, I want you now to give attention to the preaching text from the Gospel of Luke, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, He, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, 
the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier. And the bearers stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us to grope in the dark, but you have spoken and you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures and most wonderfully in that living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the scriptures bear witness. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see him. And in seeing our Lord Jesus, we might love him. And that we might commit ourselves afresh to follow him and live for him all of our days. Would you do this? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us to consider this text in three parts. First of all, in verses 11 and 12, a dramatic meeting. And then secondly, in verses 13, 14, and 15, there is this restoring movement. And then finally, in verses 16 and 17, a defining moment. Consider these with me in turn. First of all, a dramatic meeting, verses 11 and 12. We're invited to step inside the story and feel the difference. Verse 11, Jesus is leading a crowd on a great day of gladness. He's traveling from the small town of Capernaum. It's a 25-mile journey. It's a day's journey. And he leaves in the morning, and he arrives as the sun is setting in the evening. And by this time, our Lord Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples. He has fed the 5,000. He has cast out demons. He has healed the paralytic. He has healed the centurion's servant. And now he comes to the little town of Nain. The name of the town literally means pleasant. But today in the little town of Nain, the happenings are anything but pleasant. There's a woman, verse 12. 
Jesus is leading a crowd on that day of great gladness, but there's a woman leading a crowd on that same day of great sadness. A young man has died, the only son of the widow. In Jewish practice, they buried their dead before sundown. The body was prepared, anointed with spices to prevent decay. The mother would sit and mourn. One of the saddest moments in all of my 35 years of pastoral ministry was sitting in the living room of a mother who had lost her only son in the bitter weeping and wailing down the hall. One of the saddest moments I have ever experienced. That's what's happening in the text. Word spreads throughout the town. Friends, the crowd gathers. The body is wrapped, placed in an open basket called a beer. And the body is carried on a plank the procession begins in the home. It spills over into the streets. They move toward the city gate and through the gate and to the grave, and she has been there before. She's a widow. And now she's going to bury her only son. Mourners and instrument players would often be hired to make the noise of mourning so as to give space and not embarrass the bereaved in their making a scene. Now, I want you to step back and I want you to grasp the encounter. I want you to freeze the frame of the unfolding drama and take a good look. Jesus and his crowd are walking into the city. This woman and her crowd are walking out of the city. Jesus and his crowd are moving from east to west. This woman and her crowd are moving from west to east. As Jesus moves east to west, the sunlight is highlighting his face. As this woman is moving from west to east, the sunlight is silhouetting her face. Can you see it? The two crowds eventually meet. This Savior and this sufferer come face to face. And the text invites us to ask the question, has our Lord Jesus met his match? Will death get final say? Is everything sad going to come untrue? We need to wrestle with this question. Because in this world, I will suffer loss have suffered loss, and in this world, you will suffer loss. 
you have suffered loss. And we're reminded in this text that you and I have very good reasons to grieve. Loss is a painful reality. But the text also teaches us that we have even better reasons to grieve, but in hope. Good, solid, dependable reasons to grieve in hope, the hope of glory. This woman is the perfect picture of the weak. And why is that important? Because as we read through the Gospels, we learn that the Gospel comes not to the powerful, not to the worldly strong, but the good news comes to the weak. Can you identify with that? Do you know yourself to be weak? Spiritual poverty. If you can identify with the woman, then you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus is moving toward. We've considered the dramatic meeting but consider with me, secondly, the restoring movement in verses 13, 14, and 15. The Lord. It's the first use of the term in Luke's gospel. It actually translates the Hebrew name for God, Adonai, in the Old Testament. And this restoring movement of the Lord unfolds. Notice, first of all, it originates with the eyes. The Lord saw her. What did he see? He saw a woman bereft of hope, without a husband, without a son, alone, and without protection in a hostile world. This is a painful loss. No protection, no resources, nothing on which to depend. The Old Testament uses the figure of mourning over the death of an only son as a sign of the most painful of losses. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 26, in describing the horrific loss as a result of Babylonian invasion against Judah in the south, Jeremiah the prophet says, mourn with bitter wailing as for an only son, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. The same idea in Amos chapter 8, verse 10, describing the Horrific loss as a result of the Assyrian invasion against Judah, against Israel in the northern kingdom. Amos the prophet speaks, I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. That's the pain that Jesus sees. 
It originates with his eyes. The Lord saw her. But secondly, it escalates. This restoring movement gains momentum and escalates in his heart. Did you notice what the text says? When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her. That phrase is at the very center of this text. It's a literary convention. When a writer of scripture wants to bring your focus on the most important piece in the story, the writer will often put that in the very center, as Luke does here, to highlight the writer's prominent concern, compassion for her. Pastor Paul Miller, author as well, defines compassion like this. It's primarily a movement of the heart, a movement towards someone. The heart goes out to the person, so much so that your whole being enters into that person's world. The great Presbyterian theologian, professor of Princeton Theological Seminary, Benjamin B. Warfield, once did a study on the emotional life of our Lord Jesus. In his large works, there's this wonderful little section. In fact, he translated it into a book called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, and he considered the humanity of Jesus and the emotional life of Jesus as the man. And he found that the word most frequently used to describe the emotional response of our Lord Jesus was not his anger, was not his joy, was not his surprise, but his compassion. His compassion. For example, Mark chapter 6. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Luke chapter 10. Unlike the priest and the Levite, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man left for dead was at the road, And this Samaritan, when he saw him, had compassion. In other words, Jesus is revealing himself as the compassionate Samaritan who finds you and me broken on the road. He sees you and his heart moves toward you. Or think about Luke 15. When Jesus really wants To bring into focus the heart of your heavenly father, he tells the story, doesn't he? The wayward son, the younger son, got up and returned to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. For him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Why do I labor the point? We are so grateful in our tradition 
for orthodoxy, right thinking, and believing. We are rightly concerned and hold up the high value of orthopraxy, right living. But I sometimes wonder, do we give sufficient attention to what we might call orthopathos, right feeling? Jesus as a man embodies what it means to be truly human. And so to be conformed into the likeness of our Lord Jesus is to be growing not only in orthodoxy, not only in orthopraxy, but also in right feeling, compassion. Compassion. This restoring movement originates with the eyes. He saw her. It escalates in the heart. He had compassion for her. And thirdly, it culminates in words and deeds. Notice the three actions. To the women, to the woman, Jesus says, do not weep. He's not telling her to stuff her sorrow like a stoic. He's showing his tender care and he's hinting at the reason to be revealed momentarily why she can stop weeping. To the bearers, he came up and he touched the bier. This is, this is amazing. To touch the dead was to become ceremonially unclean. Numbers chapter 19. You don't touch the dead lest you become unclean. But your Lord Jesus is willing to identify. To cross the barrier. Notice thirdly, to the young man, he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And it's not an empty word. It's a recreative word that actually achieves what it commands. And all of this toward one end of restoration, Jesus gave him back to his mother. This is who your Lord Jesus is. This is who he is. Yes, this is a demonstration of sovereign power. But the sovereign power of Jesus is never exercised in an impersonal or detached sort of way. His compassionate person comes with his power. He himself enters into your deepest fear, your worst nightmare, your most painful loss. This is who he is. 
for you. Kent Hughes, a professor, former pastor, helps us think about how do we connect the riches of Jesus Christ to the realities of painful loss. Dr. Hughes writes, Jesus has a heart that is big enough for our sorrows. You may have such an immense hurt that you cannot even voice it. Have you ever felt that way? Perhaps your trauma has left you inarticulate, but Jesus understands completely and he understands sympathetically. Unlike sinners whose compassion is well-meaning but limited and imperfect, Jesus' compassion is unhindered. His immense heart goes out to you. Look at who he is. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion will never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Trust in what he says. Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The text invites us to come to Jesus, to talk to Jesus, to appeal to his heart, to ask him for help, Are you like me? Do you get stuck having a monologue talking to yourself in painful times of loss? Just going around in a circle, a monologue, talking to yourself. This text invites us to get out of the monologue and into a dialogue and to talk to Jesus. I need you. My heart is breaking, but you reveal yourself as the one who is near to the brokenhearted. And that's why I'm coming to you. You give exactly what I need. And so I need you and I'm trusting you. Into your hands, I'm committing my spirit. It's dialogue. Engaging Jesus relationally. This is what is so radically different about Christianity. The gospel never invites us to look deep inside and try harder in our brokenness. No, the gospel is helping us get outside of ourselves to look to this living redeemer who can meet us and help us. We need this person outside of us to do a deep work of consolation inside of us. The dramatic meeting, first of all, the restoring movement, second of all, and finally, a defining moment, verses 16 and 17. Fear seized them all, verse 16. They stood in shock and awe. They're not sure who to look at. Do they look at the risen boy? That's amazing. 
Do they look into the face of the elated mom? She's so happy. Or do they look at this mighty Jesus who raises the dead? Their fear turns to praise. Did you notice verse 16? They glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. God's visitation. It's not a social visit. It's a saving visit. The day when God comes to rescue his people. It's a rescue. It's a visitation that is anticipated in all of the Old Testament. God's rescue through the prophet Moses. He, he raises his people from the death of Egypt and brings them into the land of the living. When Moses demonstrated by miraculous signs that he was sent by God, then the people knew that God had seen their affliction and that God had come down to visit his people and they bowed low in worship, Exodus 4. But this text is especially anticipated in the Old Testament text that we read earlier from 1 Kings chapter 17, when God comes to the rescue through his prophet Elijah. Did you notice the connections? As Elijah came to a small town of Zarephath, Jesus comes to the small town of Nain. As Elijah meets a widow of Zarephath at the gate, so Jesus meets the widow in Nain. As the widow of Zarephath is grieving the death of her only son, so the widow of Nain is grieving the death of her only son. As the dead son was raised through the ministry of Elijah, so the dead son was raised through the ministry of Jesus. As Elijah gave the son back to his mother, so Jesus gives her son back to his mother. And so here, the crowd, they're connecting the dots. They're making the connection and they rightly conclude a great prophet has arisen among us. But wait a minute. Although the parallels are many, there's one major difference. As professor and pastor Tim Keller once put it, Elijah had to break a sweat. He's working hard. He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. But Jesus merely speaks a word. Elijah had to cry to the Lord who can raise the dead. But Jesus is the Lord who raises the dead. He's the one to whom Elijah cries out. Jesus is the Lord come in the flesh. Jesus is the Lord who is fulfilling his mission. Luke chapter 4, he begins his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And John the Baptist begins to doubt and begin to wonder and says to his disciples, 
Go ask Jesus important questions. And Jesus sends his disciples back to John and says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. This text recalls God's rescue in the past, and this text previews God's rescue in the future. The resurrection of this only son is a sign pointing beyond itself to the greater resurrection, to the raising of Mary's only son, to the raising of the father's only son, Did you notice that this is the story of a man who is being resurrected back into this sad world? But this story is pointing us to the day when you and I, believers in Jesus, will be resurrected forward into the new world to come where everything sad comes untrue. He touched the beer. This union, this great exchange. It's as though Jesus is saying, as he touches the basket, I will come under the destructive power of death so that you may come under the indestructible power of resurrection life. On Friday, Jesus came under the power of death, but on Sunday, God raised his son from the dead. And not only him, because God has established a bond between Jesus and his people. As goes the shepherd, so go his people. So when he says to the young man, I say to you, arise, he's pointing to your resurrection in Christ. Our resurrection in Jesus, it's a single event, but the New Testament teaches us that it unfolds in three stages. It has a beginning. You have been raised in Christ. God made you alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2. It has a middle. You are being raised with Christ. The Spirit is giving you life day by day. And it has an end. You will be raised with Christ. He will transform your lowly body into conformity with his glorious body. Philippians chapter 3. So I conclude with this. Even as the text concludes with this, verse 17. This report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. In Jesus, everything sad has come untrue, is coming untrue, will finally come untrue. The Apostle John sees it. Then I saw a new heaven and earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We have the opportunity not only to hear the word proclaimed, but also to watch the word proclaimed in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, let me lead us in prayer as we, as we dedicate ourselves in response to the Lord's word. Let me pray for us. Father, again, we thank you that you have, you have spoken. In the scriptures, you, you capture this very significant day, giving us window into who our Lord Jesus is and what our Lord Jesus does. And we pray that you would use this word to wake us to the compassionate heart of Jesus in order that we might come to him and into his hands commit our spirit for safekeeping to find consolation in time of great sorrow. Oh, Lord, would you do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.